Genesis chapter 37. Excuse me. I'm going to read the uh, first 11 verses. Genesis 37 says, And Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Billa and with the sons of Zilpah his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. Behold, your sheaf stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? They hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it to his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee and to to thee to the earth? And his brethren envy him, but his father observed the same. So tonight I'm going to talk about Joseph conquering temptation. Uh, You might subtitle this, The Incorruptible young man, the incorruptible young man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your, your love and your mercies to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have of your word. We thank you for these examples that are written for our admonition, for our example, and uh, uh, for uh, our instruction. I pray that you help us to glean some truths that would encourage us and challenge us in our walk with you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Joseph of course, is a real man with an an unbelievable life and character. Uh, If you read commentators on this passage of Scripture, you'll get different opinions about what it was like as a young lad. A commentator, a more modern one, said that he thinks Joseph was kind of a pampered boy and, uh, you know, and his father catered to him. It's obvious his father loved him more than his brethren. You know, it was a divided house. In fact, Joseph or Jacob, his father, loved his mother more than he loved the mother of the others. Uh, you know, after all, that was the wife he actually chose. He came along in the past deal that he, that he got, you know, uh, from his father-in-law Laban. But be that as it may, you know, some say he was pampered and he was kind of proud and so on and so forth. Um, others others say no, that he was not that kind of thing. He was just an honorable young man, and his brothers were not. That's what I think. Notice, notice what it says in verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, years old was feeding the flock with his brother, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought under his father their evil report. 
So he wasn't, I don't believe, a young man that was pampered and not made to work like the others. It says he, he was feeding the flock with his brethren, the sons of you know, his father's wives, you know, and it names them Billa and Zilpha, and, and uh, of course there was uh, Leah also was one of his wives. The, the, these Really, Billa and Zilpah were kind of like concubines. They were secondary wives. They were the, the, the maids to Leah and Rachel. Um, but anyway, so he was with those, the, all these brethren, feeding the flock. So he's taking care of the flock. The thing that sets him apart is this. The last phrase of that verse. He brought unto his father their evil report. Now, you might say, in some with some, in one commentator said he was a tattletale. Well, uh, again, I don't think so. You know, if you know that somebody is doing wrong, and you and you know somebody that is responsible for that person or has the authority to do something about it, don't you think you ought to warn or? tell you know sometimes sometimes we have gotten this idea that you should never tell anyone anything you know about somebody else well that's not always the case if if uh if you know if you know of a child if you if you're in a family and a child is going wrong parents ought to have the right to know even if it's another child they have a right to know it's not tattling you know, of course, you know, there is such a thing as a tattletale that is true. One is just somebody else in trouble. I don't believe that was the case here. He brought their evil. The Bible says it was an evil report. Now, this evil, of course, report, you know, is going to affect, you know, and their actions, we know, we already know, that their actions do affect Jacob. Uh, in chapter 38, you know, their actions at Shechem. Jacob said, you've made me stink before the inhabitants of this people. You know, when they went in, that when they went in, you know, they, they you know, uh, uh, what's her name? Dinah had gone out with the daughters of the land and Shechem took her and took her to his home and defiled her. And of course, uh, they said, we'll allow you to marry her if you are circumcised. And then when they were all sore, they went in and killed them all, you know. Uh, th- this is the guys they were. They were not nice guys. Um, and Jacob said, you made me stink uh, before the inhabitants of the land. So, so there was an evil report. The, of course, their evil is going to affect Jacob. Uh, it, I'm sure it probably affected his business. It affected his testimony in the land. So Joseph was, was, was uh, not not going along with their evil and would report it to their father who was the woman responsible for their actions. Uh, of course, when, there's quite a few things we know about Joseph. He's a type of Christ. He, you know, in many ways, he he's pictures Christ for us. He's hated by his brethren. Uh, verses 4 and 5 tell us that. Uh, Jesus is hated by his brethren. He's sold for a price. Genesis 37 28, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver, I believe it was. But he's loved by his father. Uh, he's, a, he's a young man that was sorely tested. And he would go from mountain peak, you will, 
to valleys. Mountain peak to valleys, it seems. Extremes. It kind of reminds me of what I preached on a couple weeks ago about the Apostle Paul. He said, I've learned how to be abased, brought very low. And that's of my own doing. You know, I'm willing to do it. And I also know what it is to abound. I know what it is to be on the mountaintop, to have abundance of things, but I know what it is to be down here in the valley where it's hand to mouth, just, just getting by, even being hungry at times. And that's what, that, was the, that was the life of Joseph. You know, again, a godly young man. Uh, we see him on the mountain first early, early in life. He takes a stand against his brethren and brings to his father their evil report. Uh, so he was also loved by his father. Uh, he was given, you know, it's interesting here that, and, and I think this is significant, in verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, coats of colors were things that kings, princes wore. The prince's daughters always had coats or, or, or garments of colors, uh, divers' colors, and, and that's what Joseph is. It speaks of, uh, speaks of honor, of a, of a position, uh, you know, like a prince. And this is, this is what jo- or Jacob gave to Joseph. But then you think about it, what kind of man was, what kind of young man was Joseph? He was an honorable young man. He was a respected young man. He was a respectable young man. I mean, he, he was not only received the part, he was the part. He was the part. Uh, so, you know, respect is usually given to those who are respectable. But he also was sorely tried. Because of this... You know, as often as the case, many times, there's envy. There's hatred. As we find here in verse 4. When his brethren saw that a father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, could not speak peaceably unto him. So, he, because of this, he's hated by his brethren. Because of the, you know, and not necessarily it's because of the coat, but the, and I believe all of this, the coat and all these things are... Some of this is because of who he was as a person, his character. His character stood apart, stood him apart from the rest of his brothers. And so, so he was hated by them. Uh, they envied him. They envied him also. Of course, you know, he has these dreams. Uh, and verse 11 says, that his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now, now you might you might question whether it was really smart of him, when after, you know, knowing your brothers hate you to start with, whether it was really wise to then tell those guys the dream you had that they're going to one day come and bow down to you. I, I'm not sure that was real wise on his part. Um, but his father, and, and one of the commentators said this about dreams. Uh, dreams, quote, dreams in ancient times were much attended to, and hence the dream of Joseph, though but a mere boy, engaged the serious consideration of his family. 
This dream was evidently symbolical. The meaning was easily discerned, and it, from its being repeated under different emblems, the fulfillment was considered certain, whence it was that his brethren envied him, and his father observed his saying. So his father didn't write it off as just, you know, you're just having some fancy, you know, silly dreams. He observed it. He took notice of it. You know, he's probably thinking, God has something special for this young man. And which we know, because we know the end of the story, that he did. But again, probably wasn't the wisest thing to tell. You know, sometimes it's not always good to tell everything you know. Sometimes it's best to keep some things to yourself. Um, you know, they, they say, you know, if, if it's not nice, don't say it. Um, but anyway, so he was envied. Uh, you know, we could ask this question, is there excuse for this father's favoritism? Or what was the real reason for their wickedness? Uh, one commentator said this, quote, uh, you know, Quote, their hatred to Joseph must have had far had a far deeper seat. You know, was it simply because of his he was of a, uh, the son of his father's favorite wife? Was it because his father loved him more, uh, or he had a coat? No, I think it was far deeper than that. Quote, it must have been produced by dislike to his piety and other excellencies, which made his character and conduct a constant censure upon theirs and on account of which they found that they could never be at ease till they had rid themselves of his hated presence. This was the true solution of the mystery, just as it was in the case of Cain. You see, as long as Joseph's around, their consciences are going to bother them because of their evil. Because they know Joseph doesn't go along with it. They know Joseph is probably going to rebuke them. And they know Joseph is going to tell their father what's really going on while they're out there tending the sheep. You know, it, it, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, Not as Cain, who is of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. See, jo- Cain killed Abel simply because Abel's works were righteous and his weren't. It wasn't a family problem. It was a relationship with God problem. And I believe that's what the cause of jealousy is. So, so was it justifiable? You know, again, he exposed them. And, and, and so, uh, you know, it, it, it makes him envied and hated of his brother. Uh, and so they planned to kill him, and so, and, but instead sell him as a slave. And so, you know, there again, there would be temptation, a great temptation uh, of the, uh, as a result of this uh, to become angry, bitter. On Joseph's part. But we don't find that anywhere in Scripture. We don't find it anywhere. So he's sold. You know, he goes from being favored by his father to being sold to the Midianite merchant men. Uh, chapter 38, or chapter 37, goes on and tells us this in verses 18 through 27. When they saw him afar off, and before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him, said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. 
And we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what would become of his dreams. And, you know, when, when envy takes root, it will lead you to places you never thought you'd go. Can you imagine killing your own brother just because you're envious of him? Verse 21 says, And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness. Why didn't he just say, Hey, don't do this evil. Period. Forget the pit. Just don't do anything that you ought not do. You know, it's like a he's half in and half out. Uh <clears throat> So cast him in the pit in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brother and they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat and bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked and behold a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and marrow going down to carry it down into Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us not, be, let our, not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. You know, it's almost like, you know, you read that, and to me it's like he's, hey, you know, he is our brother, so let's not kill him. Let's just sell him as a slave. You know, we'll still get rid of him. You know, what difference? We'll rob him of his life. He won't be his own. So, the temptation not to be bitter. So he's brought, of course, we know the story. I'm not going to read all of it sacred time. He's brought to Egypt, um, chapter 39. Skip over chapter 39. Uh, he's brought to Egypt and, and sold unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Mishmaelites, which brought him down hither. So he's... He's, he's uh, uh, purchased as a slave to a family of high social standing. And, uh, of course, this, you know, this puts him in a nice place as a slave. Considering a slave, he's got a nice, nice position as a slave. He's not given hard labor or anything like that. Uh, but here, here's the thing that we see very quickly. You know, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this temptation, verse 2 says... And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, an Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. He made him overseer over his house, and over all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass, from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. So, you know, he retains his favor with God. He, so he retained his character, his testimony, uh, his, his relationship with the Lord. And he's very quickly promoted uh, from a, a, just a, a, a slave to the overseer or the house manager of Potiphar. Now, 
This tells us several things about Joseph. Number one, he's very industrious. He's not a pampered little rich kid, as one commentator tried to make him out to be. No, he's very industrious. And the second thing, he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Uh, it says in verse 3, his master saw. So he watched him. He watched him. He watched his conduct. And he saw that the Lord was with him. And all that he did prospered in his hands. Now, now you could, you, could, you could read into that and say, well, the Lord did all Yeah, the Lord did all that, but the Lord directed Joseph. But the Lord directed Joseph. Joseph was willing to be directed by the Lord, even if he was a slave. Even if he was in circumstances that he did not choose. He was going to honor the Lord and do what was right. Even though his life, life as a free man, as a son of Jacob, was taken from him, he was still going to honor the Lord and do what was right by those he served. So, you know, his attitude hasn't changed. His attitude hasn't changed. You know, he's given the oversight, the management of this guy's estate. His, all of his affairs were given him. Matthew Henry said this about him, quote, Those that have wisdom and grace have that which cannot be taken away from them, what else they are robbed of. Joseph's brethren had stripped him of his coat of many colors, but they could not strip him of his virtue and prudence, unquote. You see, they could, they could, they could take away his 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 uh, his coat. They could take away his his favoritism with his father and and all that, and 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 sell him as a slave. But they couldn't rob him of his virtues. They couldn't rob rob him of his dignity, of his character. Proverbs. There's a couple of verses in Proverbs. I want to look at Proverbs twelve. And verse 24, Proverbs 12 and verse 24 says this. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. You know, you can, you can, you know, of course, you know, we, we are, have lots of people in this country that think we need to equal everything out, you know, and have equality and everybody have the same amount of money, but there's those that are diligent and there's those that are slothful. And you could do that. You could reset everything and just you know, spread the money around evenly. And there'd be, within a year, there are going to be some that have more than others. It would take less time than that. Because some are diligent and some are not. Some are industrious and some are not. You know, uh, one of the things, the reason Jeroboam was chosen as king of the ten northern tribes was Solomon saw that he was an industrious man. And he made him, he made him like a governor over one of the tribes. And then, of course, when he was prophesied that Solomon was going to lose some of the kingdom, and the prophet told Jeroboam that he's going to receive the ten tribes, then Solomon tried to kill him and he had to flee to Egypt. But, but he was an industrious man. So he stood out. 
uh, again, Proverbs 22, verse 29. Proverbs 22, verse 29. says, Seest thou man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean. That word mean means poor and beggarly. He shall not stand before mean men. He'll stand before kings. And this is the kind of man that Joseph was. He was diligent in his business. It didn't matter if it was for somebody that owned him. And as we're going to see, it isn't going to matter if it's in prison. So, so here he is. You know, this is kind of a mountain, a little bit of a mountain peak for him again, being, being serving in this man's house, and this man elevates his position to make him overseer over his house. That's a, that's, a, that's a prized position to have in a man's house, especially somebody uh, in high social standing as Potiphar was. But you know, the devil is always out to destroy or to tempt those who are faithful to the Lord. Not only did Potiphar notice Joseph, so did his wife. So did his wife. Notice at the end of verse 6, it says, And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Now, that means he was good-looking. And again, he was a very industrious good-mannered person. He was a man to be desired. That's what he was. And so, verse 7, it came to pass after these things his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto her, said his master's wife, behold, my master whateth not was with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. None greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So here his, you know, he's being tried again and sorely tempted. His prudence, his handsome features, attracts his master's wife. She tries to seduce him. Somebody said, beauty, beauty is often a snare that feeds pride, therefore must be guarded with care. Unquote. Now, this is a this is a a sore temptation. Okay? What happens if he don't? And what happens if he does? You know, that's like that's like being in a position with no good answers from the world's perspective. If you're looking at it from under the sun. There's no good outs. Because if she's trying to seduce him, she's going to manipulate the situation her way no matter what. So he's going to lose no matter what as far as the world is concerned. But Joseph doesn't look at it that way. He looks at it from another perspective. In verse 9 again, we say, it says this, There is none greater in this house than I. So, you know, I'm the greatest in this house. So I have authority in this house. Think about that for a minute. 
Now neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No. It wasn't an issue of against Potiphar. The issue was, it didn't, the issue wasn't right here. The issue was, what's this going to do between me and my relationship with God? What's this going to do to my conscience before God? You know, like I say, he's in a position, he finds himself in a position here where she can manipulate him and have him in trouble no matter which way he goes. Because if he, if he does lie with her, eventually it's going to be found out and he's going to be in trouble. Would you not agree? If he does not, as we see, <laughs> he's thrown in jail, falsely accused. Beware, young men, of women of the world. Beware. They seduce you for gain. Blackmail. I don't know how many articles I've read in the last year or two years about men who have been falsely accused of rape on college campuses and have lost their diplomas, and been booted out of college for a period of time. Some of them have now had their cases overturned because of a you know accused of rape or sexual misconduct. When it turns out that it wasn't rape, it was consensual. But you see what you, what you have here is women using their 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 bodies to seduce to get gain over men. It's blackmail. That's why the Bible says, Proverbs 7, warns men in particular, 7.22, about the strange woman, He that goeth after a straight way, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks. Till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to a snare, and knoweth not it is for his life, Hearken unto me, therefore, O children, attend the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yet many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. You know, think about it. It's like going to the slaughter, or going to the correction of the stalks, or getting caught in a snare, or being wounded, or being slain, or going down the way to hell. That's why Proverbs 23, 26-28 says, My son, give me thine heart, let thine eyes observe my ways, for a whore is a deep ditch. We're dealing with a whore here. She's a ditch. And a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. So Joseph finds himself in this very precarious situation, but his response was again, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to obey God. Either way, the consequences are not going to be good. He probably knew that. He probably knew 
this would be the end of his career with Potiphar if he refused because she kept pressing him as we see. So he refuses, verses 13 through 15, it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled forth that she called on the men of her house and spake unto them saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice. Came to pass when he had heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. She laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me, came to pass to lift up my voice, and he left his garment with me and fled out. And, and as it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, while he, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were, were the, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. So he's falsely accused. He's cast into prison. Again, jo- Joseph loses his position. He's, his reputation is damaged or destroyed. But again, he did not lose his integrity. Nor did he defile his conscience. You know, one of the most damaging things I think we can do to our, ourselves is to foul our conscience. Because uh, that haunts us. That haunts us. It's a hard thing to overcome. You know, in 1 Timothy 4, in verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving use to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, I've seen, and it, it, to me it's a scary thing, but I've seen men in ministry that fell and didn't want to accept that and then began to justify it. And, and then it's like there's, there's nothing, there's, there, there seems to be they don't seem to have any conscience anymore as to right or wrong. And they just want to continue to plow ahead as if, as if nothing ever happened. I knew a man one time and I was talking to a guy that was on the board of his camp. And he said, when things first happened, he quit. He quit the ministry. He quit preaching. But about six months later, he picked it back up. And then he justified his position. And you couldn't talk to him. It's like, you know, I believe it's a conscience seared with a hot iron. And so it's a dangerous thing. Dangerous thing. And of course, you know, so he's again... Demoted, uh, he's in prison. Chapter thirty-nine, verse twenty-one says, "But the Lord was with Joseph, showed mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatsoever they did there, he was a doer of it. 
And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So, you know, again, from the palace, you might say, or the Potiphar's house, which was you know, a very nice place, to the prison, uh, he, he's, again, honorable and elevated to the keeper of the prison. Uh, but again, he's, he's tested. Uh, you know, and I'm going to read all of this for sake of time, but you know the story, chapter 40. The, the baker and the uh, butler uh, are put in prison also, and they have dreams, and Joseph interprets her dreams and, and, and says, when you, when you, if you get out, when, whenever you get out, uh, remember me before Pharaoh because I've been put in here falsely, and he just forgets all about him. Thirteen years. Thirteen years of his life. Until Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret the dream. And the and the and the butler then remembers Joseph two years later and said, tells Pharaoh about Joseph. And so in chapter forty one, I'll jump over to chapter forty one and verse uh thirty eight. Chapter 41, verse 38. It says, And Pharaoh said unto the servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none discreet, so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand, raid him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So he's, he's taken from the prison and made the governor of Egypt. Just that quick. He went from being nobody to being somebody. Now that would ruin many a man. But Joseph reminded Pharaoh of something when he was interpreting this dream. Verse 39. Verse, uh, yeah, well, he repeats it. Um, verse 28. He reminds Pharaoh, This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Pharaoh, this is not of me. God has showed you. This is God's doings. God's revealed it to you. I'm just telling you what God is revealing to you. You know, he's, so he's made, you know, he, he reminds Pharaoh that 
this is of God. God has given him power to be a revealer of secrets. You know, he's given a new name uh, in verse 41. It says, uh, not 40, uh, verse 45, I'm sorry. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Pananite, Nania. That's quite a name. And he gave to him his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potphori, priest of On. Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. That name actually means revealer of secrets, preserver of life, savior of the land. That's what that name means. Uh, he's, of course, he's given a wife, he's given authority uh, and power, and, of course, this will test his character, which it did. But again, Joseph honored God. You know, with his power now, what's he going to do with it? Well, he can do anything he wants. What would you do with it? When those who sold you into slavery showed up. Those who wronged you, those who took those years of your life away from you. We see Joseph saw something a little more than that. He saw the hand of God in it all. He saw the hand of God in it all. You know, even though it wasn't written, Joseph understood Romans 8, 28 and 29, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Chapter 45. Verse 7 says, And God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, Go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks and their herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. You know, when Jacob blessed his sons before he died, he uh, spoke of Joseph's trials. And uh, verse chapter 49, verse 22, it says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. Notice this. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in the strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel.
So how did Joseph endure all this? He kept his relationship with his God right. Whether it was through the good times or the low times. Whether it was in the palace or in prison. Joseph's thoughts were, is it right in the sight of God? Potiphar's wife, is it right in the sight of God? Potiphar, I'll do right in the sight of God, and I'll do right by you. Jailer, I'll do right in the sight of God. Pharaoh, I'm going to do right in the sight of God. See, the real test of a man is what he does in trials, whether that trial is in times of abundance or in times of abasement, as we read in Philippians 4. Joseph was a man that endured the trials. And no matter, it seems, the trial that Satan and those he led thrown at, threw at him, Joseph retained his righteousness before God. He honored the Lord with, with his life, whether it was in the palace or whether it was in prison. And God honored him for it. He retained a clear conscience. You know, he could look the enemy in the face and say, I'm guiltless. I'm guiltless. May that be our testimony. May we honor the Lord when it's good. And when it's not. Let's pray.